Hey, good morning. My name is Matt Nelson. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning at Stonebridge. And we want to remind you that no matter where you are coming from, no matter where you're watching from, that our God is able to be known by us this morning and that we are able to connect with him. And so I wanted to give you a couple of different ways that you can be able to connect in this morning, both with God and in our community. First, if you would like us to pray for anything going on in your life, we would love to be praying alongside you. And so in the comments, you'll see a link to our prayer card, uh, and that'll take you directly uh, to a spot where you can fill out just what you would like us to be praying alongside you for, and we'll reach out to you and be praying with you in the next day or two. The second is a list of our small groups, and so if you found yourself needing more community, needing more people, and uh, people to encourage and support and to challenge you in this time, I want to direct you to that link as well, and that'll show you all of our small groups um, and especially if you are not able to meet with other people in this time, there are four small groups that are just meeting online that I want to draw your attention to I think you'd be interested in. All right, we're so glad that you are here this morning. Let's go ahead and join in the service. I'm glad you guys are here. My name is David. I'm the pastor here at Stonebridge Middle School. You guys can slip out with Jeremy. Any of you that want to do that? Perfect. Everybody else, y'all can turn to Zechariah chapter 2. Zechariah chapter 2. So February 15th, 519 B.C., Zechariah's got a long night. He has eight visions in a row. They're not dreams, they're night visions. And the point is to encourage these guys, these 43,000 Jews who've returned from Babylon to Jerusalem in order to rebuild the temple. They don't do anything for 16 years, and then they've, they've been working for the last five months. So for the last five months, they've been actively engaged in the rebuilding of the temple. And what God does through Zechariah is he encourages them by kind of pulling back the curtain and giving them some insight into what God is doing that they can't see yet. The stuff, the, the stuff that God's doing, it hasn't really played out in the lives of the Jews yet, but it's going to. And so Zechariah saying, here's what's actually going on. Here's the spiritual significance uh, behind what you're doing. You're not just laying bricks. You're not just, it's not just, you're not just building a building. God's using this for bigger purposes. So we're going to look at the third vision here uh, this morning, chapter 2. Then I looked up, and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand, and I asked, where are you going? He answered me to measure Jerusalem to find out how wide and how long it is. While the angel who was speaking to me was leaving, another angel came to meet him, and he said, run. Tell that young man, that Zechariah, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. Come, come, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have scattered you to the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. Come, Zion, escape, you who live in daughter Babylon. For this is what the Lord Almighty says, After the glorious one has sent me against the nations that have plundered you, for whoever touches you touches the apple of my eye. I will surely raise my hand against them so that their slaves will plunder them. Then you'll know the Lord Almighty has sent me. Shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I'm coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. The Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. So this vision 
Uh, it reminds us of something that we saw just really briefly in one of in Zechariah's first vision last week, a measuring line drawn over Jerusalem. So the city of Jerusalem is in ruins. We know the temple is destroyed, but the Babylonians didn't just destroy the temple. They also burned down the king's palace. They burned down every house in Jerusalem. They burned down every important building, and then they tore down the wall. The city is in shambles. The people are working to rebuild the temple, but that's it. The city itself is still a mess, and it's been a mess for 70 years. And Zechariah sees this vision of God intending to rebuild. So you can think of this guy with the measuring line as a, like a surveyor. So if you were going to build a house, you would send a surveyor out first, and he would stake out your property and then stake out the corners of your house. That's what this guy's doing. He's staking out the city. Here's how wide and how long the city's going to be. It's an indication of God's desire and his commitment to rebuild Jerusalem, which at this point, it's, it's a pipe dream. Like, they're looking at it, and all they see are a bunch of broken down walls and a bunch of burned out buildings, and to think that it can be rebuilt after 70 years. Very difficult to imagine. And then it's not just going to be rebuilt. God said it's going to be so full of people that you won't even build a, put a wall around it. Walls were built for protection. And God says you won't need to worry that there's no wall around it because I'll be it. I'll be a wall of fire around this building, and my glory or my presence will dwell there within the building. Again, so hard to fathom. 43,000 Jews returned about 16, 17 years before our passage here in Zechariah 2, and the vast majority of them chose to not live in Jerusalem. And who would want to? All the houses are burned out, all the important buildings are burned down, and the walls are destroyed. Who wants to live there? Nobody. And so they don't. They all live in surrounding areas. They're commuting in to rebuild the temple. Very few people actually live in Jerusalem. And now Zechariah is saying, there's going to be so many people, you're not going to be able to put a wall around it. There's going to be so many people and animals who live in Jerusalem. Again, if you're one of the returnees and you're listening to this, you're going, "I, I can't see it. Like, how do we get from where we are to there? It's super encouraging if you can grab onto it. But there's not a lot in your current reality that makes you think, yeah, that's, I, see, I, I see it. I see that happening. And then because of that vision, here's what God's going to do. I'm going to rebuild this city, and I'm going to rebuild it grander and greater than anything previous. I'm going to be the protection. I'm going to dwell with you. So many people, all of that. He gives the, the Jews three words. The first word is to flee. From Babylon or to come home. It's a different way of saying the same thing. Escape from Babylon, come home. And then he gives a couple of reasons for that. One is he says, because I've scattered you to the four winds. That doesn't make a ton of sense to us. Flee from Babylon because I've scattered you to the four winds. That word scattered literally means to spread out. It's more of a positive word. Scattered sounds really negative. God wants to call them back because he wants to spread them out. He needs Jews in the city. There's going to be so many people that city's not going to be able to be walled in. He needs some folks to come back. There's not enough of them. He's calling the people back and saying, I want to bless you. I want to spread you out. And then he says, I also want you to come out of Babylon because I'm about to judge it. I don't want you to be there because I'm about to judge it. And I want you to come home because I want you to, I want to spread you out. Really enigmatic, pretty confusing passage um, after the glorious one has sent me. And that it's, it's the 
the original language there is pretty tricky. This is my shot at it. After the glorious one, it's really just there's only two words, after glory. I think in that verse what we see is God is saying, I'm pursuing my glory among the nations. And the, the way I'm doing that is I'm sending someone to judge them. He's not sending Zechariah. That's not what a prophet does. I don't think he's sending an angel. That's not what an angel does. I think he's sending the angel of the Lord, which is Jesus, the pre-incarnate son of God. We talked about him last week from Zechariah's first vision. I think it's the father sending the son. That's part of their relational dynamic. And then the son talking in the first person as God. He can do that because he's divine. God, the father, is sending the son to the nations to judge them in order to, in pursuit of glory for himself. He's going to judge Babylon. Why? Because Babylon touched the apple of his eye. That's his people. The apple of your eye is your pupil. It's the most vital and the most vulnerable part of your eye. It, it stands for uh, your most uh, a precious possession that needs protection and care. And God says, because Babylon touched my people, I'm going to judge Babylon. And then everybody will know that Zechariah is a prophet. Again, the thing that he's saying is going to happen is really hard to see how it's going to happen. And there's some, nearer term, there's some near-term fulfillments with that prophecy about Babylon being judged. And a, a few years from now, they're going to rebel against the Persians, and the Persians are going to tear their walls down. The city will never be as grand as it was. And that type of thing, seeing that happen, could encourage, maybe, would encourage the returnees to say, you know what? Well, Zechariah predicted that, and it happened. So maybe this other thing that Zechariah said is going to happen. Maybe that's going to happen too. Maybe this God really is going to rebuild this city. And it really is going to be great. And it really is going to be grand. So first word, come out of Babylon. I want to spread you out. I want to bless you. And I'm going to judge that place. And the second word, he says, shout and be glad. Shout and be glad. Why? Because I'm going to dwell with you again. Remember, God had chosen Jerusalem out of all the cities in the, on, the, on the planet and said, I'm going to dwell there. It's my special city. And then even within Jerusalem, the temple, he said, that's going to be my special building. That's the place where I'm going to, quote, live on the earth. And all that's been destroyed and all that's been in ruins for 70 years. And now God is saying, I want you to shout. I want you to be glad because I'm going to live with you again, just like I used to. Before the exile, before I punished you, before I scattered you into these nations, now I'm calling you back and I'm going to live with you again. And it's going to be great. And notice, it's not just the Jews. He says, the nations will be joined with the Jews to the Lord. It's easy for us sometimes when we read the Old Testament to lose sight of the fact that God's always had a plan for the nations. When God called Abraham in Genesis 12, he says, you're going to be a blessing. And through you, you're going to bless the nations. The nations will be blessed through you. Israel was chosen as God's special people, but they were always chosen for a purpose. And that purpose was to reach the nations. In the Old Testament, the, it's, it's a little bit different from where we live now. It was kind of a come and see uh, dynamic. Israel was supposed to live as the people of God under the law. And as they did that, God was going to bless them and prosper them and protect them. And their life was going to be so wonderful. All of the nations were going to say, I, I want that. I want to know that God. I want to know the God that does that with the people. But Israel blew it. Paul says in Romans 2, it's not that the nations knew you through me. They actually, my name is blasphemed among the nations because of you. 
Israel blew it. And so God sends Jesus, a perfect Israelite, to fulfill what the nation couldn't. And so now we, in the new covenant, we live under a go and tell or go and show missionary impulse. It's not come and see, it's go and show. Here's what it looks like to live reconciled to God. Here's what it looks like to live under his rule and his reign. And we want to invite people to be a part of that. So this vision Zechariah sees of Jerusalem rebuilt, it's, it's full of Jews who've returned from Babylon. And it's also full of Gentiles who've, can, who've joined with the Jews in their worship of God. It's a massive picture. And again, so difficult for these guys who are standing in piles of rocks and debris and shells of buildings. Very sparsely populated city. It's a ghost town, Jerusalem is at this point. Very hard to envision that. Very hard to envision that. And I think about for us, I'm listening to, to what God is saying to these returnees. We've been looking at this for a couple of months now. But I was trying to put myself in the position of the people who in Babylon, the Jews that didn't return home. Like, how are they feeling and what are they thinking? God's addressing them through this vision that he gives to Zechariah. So you, the, the Jews had lived in Babylon for 50, 60, 70 years at this point, and they'd figured out how to be Jewish there. They'd figured out how to follow God. They didn't have the temple, so they didn't have the altar, so they didn't have the sacrificial system, but they'd figured everything else out. And there's no indication that they were not being faithful. Like, they figured it out. But God, in 536, issues this invitation through the King Cyrus, come home, come back to Jerusalem, rebuild the temple. And 43,000 say yes, but the vast majority say no. They choose to stay in Babylon. And I was thinking about that and trying to apply that to me, and maybe you would be willing to apply it to you. What does it look like? Or maybe this better. What does it say about you, and what does it say about me? If God has invited us to come home, and we choose to stay away. Babylon's 500 miles from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is God's special city, and the temple is his special building. You can be a Jew in Babylon, but if you have the opportunity to come home, to worship at the temple again, to offer sacrifices and offerings at the altar again, to once again meet God in the one place on the planet he said he will meet with his people. This is Old Covenant, remember. If you have an opportunity to do that and you don't take it, what does that say about your priorities and your values and your relationship with the Lord? I was thinking about that for us. James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The language that's used for being reconciled to God, it's family language. We're adopted into his family as sons and daughters. We're co-heirs with Jesus. We're his brothers and sisters individually. Collectively, we're called the bride of Christ. It's this very intimate language. But how many of us would say, you know what, I'm actually okay being a distant niece or nephew. I don't really, son and daughter, I'm not sure. Brother and sister seems like a whole lot. What about cousins? I can come around every now and again, but I'm not sure I want to be quite that close. What does it say about us when we choose to live 500 miles away? When God is saying, you can have as much of me as you want. You can draw as near to me as you desire to draw to me, as close as you want to get. You can come. He's removed the obstacles. And so then the question for us is, then why do we choose to, to keep him at a distance.
There's three things I see with the returnees. I don't know this. I'm just guessing. One is they chose to stay in Babylon because it was easier. They were comfortable. Babylon's a wealthy city. Jerusalem is a ghost town without any walls and without any buildings. Most of the Jews who lived in Babylon were living at a higher standard of living than they had in Jerusalem and that they certainly would enjoy if they went back. That's hard work rebuilding a place. It's just easier to stay in Babylon. You've moved before. It's a pain. You got to pack all your stuff up. You got, they don't have cars. They're hoofing it 500 miles through the desert or 900 miles if they take a better route. You got your kids crying and the animals you're trying to keep up with and stuff falling off the cart. It's a pain. Who wants to do that? This is better. And when I get there, it's going to stink. There's nothing to go back to. They're afraid. Babylon's a fortified city. They've got the walls. Jerusalem's walls are all broken down on the ground. You're going to move into that? Put your family at risk? Put yourself at risk? They're disappointed as well. Many Jews thought God had broken covenant with them. We talked a few weeks ago, that word that was really hard for me to say, the inviolability of Zion, still hard for me to say. It's this false belief that if the temple is standing, then the people are going to be protected. And many Jews believe that, and God through the prophet said, that's not true. I'm going to judge you. Don't put your faith in that building. You're being faithless to me. I'm going to destroy that building, and I'm going to send you into exile. But many of the people didn't believe it. And so when the Babylonians destroyed their city and sent them into exile, the guy said, God turned his back on us. We had a deal. We had this covenant. You were supposed to take care of us, and you, you didn't do it. And so they're not going back. They're not going back because they're disappointed and they're disillusioned with the Lord. Same three things keep us at a distance from him. We get comfortable, we're scared, and we're disappointed. To draw near to God implies movement on our part. There's a level of intentionality. There's some effort that's involved. And it's hard at times. Nobody wants to get up any earlier. Sometimes the Bible's really confusing. You pray and you feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. It doesn't do any good. It can be difficult to pursue relationship with him. And so sometimes we're thinking, I'm okay. Like I'm still in the family. It's good enough. We get scared. What's God going to ask of me? Is he going to make me move to some other country, marry somebody ugly? What's he going to ask me to do? Is he going to make me broke? Is he going to put my kids at risk? We're afraid of what it means to trust him. We want to be in the class. We just don't want to be on the front row. I want to sit in the back with my head down, and maybe he won't call on me and ask me to do anything. I still get the benefits of being in the room, but I don't have any other responsibility of being called on. We're afraid of what he's going to ask us to do. We get comfortable where we are. We're afraid of what he's asking, going to ask us to do, and most devastating. For some of you, you're just disappointed. You took a risk in obedience, and it blew up in your face. You're not going to do it again. You prayed, and the, the person still died, and they died too young. You're still struggling with an illness or a sickness. You're disillusioned. You're disappointed. You hadn't quit altogether, but you're certainly not interested in 
intimacy. This is more like what you're okay with right now. Comfort, fear, disappointment cause us to live 500 miles away when God is saying, come on back. Come on back. I want to spread you out. I've got good plans for you. Shout and be glad. This is great. I'm going to dwell with you. And we're kind of going, I don't know that I want, I don't don't know about that. I just don't know. We're going to close with a couple, we're going to do a couple of things. I want you to, so some details. Focus details. First, Bo's going to come and he's going to sing a song and we're not going to sing. We're going to follow the third command that God gives to the Israelites, which is be still. So that's all we're going to do during this song is we're going to be still. Why does he tell them to be still? Because God is roused from his holy place. God's about to work. He's about to do something. So just watch. And that's what I want us to do initially is we're just going to be still. And I'm going to pray for the Lord to move in the hearts of each one of us that maybe is living at a greater distance than is necessary. And if we're honest, that's most of us. That God would move in our hearts in a way that would remind us that each one of us is the apple of his eye. If we knew that, if we knew that, we wouldn't stay, we wouldn't stay away. We wouldn't keep it at, at, at arm's length if we truly believe that we're the apple of his eye, that we're his most precious possession, that he desires to protect us and to watch over us and to care for us and to lead us and to guide us. So I'm going to ask God to remind us of that truth as Bo sings. And then when he's done with this first song, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. I'm not going to come back up. Bo will just cue you. As we have been doing for the past several weeks, this stage will be open and you can come and kneel and I would encourage you to do so and people will me or somebody on our staff or our ministry teams will come around and put a hand on you and pray for you but we also today we've set up some room some little prayer booths in this room right outside just go out into the right if you want to have some interaction with people and you're fine with that they'll be wearing a mask and you wear your mask but there'll be ministry teams in there, and you can go and sit down. You can share a bit, and they'll pray for you. It's not counseling, but it's just a bit more interactive than what we're doing up here. So Bo will uh, cue you when it's time to do that. And as I've said the past several weeks, it's, it's great to do work with God in your heart and want to continue to cultivate that. There's also something about a physical response that helps solidify that and having other people pray with you and for you. So I'm going to say, so logistics, be still receive, be reminded you're the apple of his eye. And then I want you to respond. You can come here and kneel or you can go there and receive prayer. And obviously you can stay in your seat if that's where you're most comfortable. So I'm gonna say a prayer and I want you guys to pray along with me. Here's the first thing I want you to ask the Lord. God, where am I? Where am I? Am I 500 miles away? Am I as near to you as you allow me to be. See what the Lord would say, and it won't be a condemning voice. 
He's for us. His desire is to draw us in. He's already demonstrated the lengths that he's willing to go for relationship. He sent his son to die on our behalf so that relationship with him is possible. He's already put all of his cards on the table. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to try to figure out what does God think of me or how does he feel about me? He's already demonstrated his great love for you and for me in this. While we were still sinners, he died for us. So wherever you're feeling that you are right now, whatever you're sensing, I would just say, ask the Lord, say, I want to take another step. I want to draw near to you. Show me what that looks like. Would you show me what's getting in the way? What's holding me back? Is it comfort? I'm just comfortable where I am. I don't want to exert the effort to take another step. There's a dynamic in our relationship with the Lord. As we get closer to him, uh, he reveals his holiness to us at a greater degree. And sometimes that, it reminds us of the messiness of our own lives and the brokenness of our own lives. And sometimes that's not super pleasant. So that can cause us to pull back. And that may be where you are. There's just some things that you enjoy doing. And you know, if you move closer to the Lord, he's going to put his finger on it and say, you got to give me that. I would encourage you to really, is it worth it? Is that thing worth it? For some of you, you're scared. You just don't know what it means. You don't know what it means. And you're nervous about trusting him at a greater level. You don't know what he's going to ask of you. First John says, perfect, his, uh, perfect love casts out fear. As we know more and more deeply that we're the apple of his eye. It becomes easier and easier to trust him with our lives and with those that we love. And if you're disappointed, acknowledge, God, honestly, I feel like you let me down. I feel like we had a deal, and I held up my end. And you didn't. Holy Spirit, I pray particularly for those who are the most fragile-hearted this morning that they would know what it is to be the apple of your eye. I pray we would all know that, but again, for those who are the, whose hearts are the most tender, I'm thinking those are the people who've been disappointed the most uh, significantly. That you would speak to them right now, Holy Spirit, in a way that they would understand. They would hear you calling them home. And God, that disappointment would not keep them from saying yes. God, I pray for those of us who are afraid that fear would not keep us from saying yes. For those of us who've grown comfortable 500 miles away, that you would stir a deeper desire in us, a hunger to know you more. So would you come and as we practice stillness, as we are still, God, would you move from your holy place on our hearts? In Jesus' name.